This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, October 25th of 2022. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's show, we'll learn more about a state ballot measure that aims to allocate a portion of tax revenue to affordable housing. Open enrollment starts next week for health insurance through Connect for Health Colorado. We'll have the details. This Week in Water reports on how Colorado residents may soon have an additional source of drinking water. Then finally, we'll go to our listener comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's How on Earth? Today's science show will explore chronic pain, developments in the underlying science, causes, and treatments with Dr. Yoni Ashar, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. At 9 a.m. comes another archival recording of British philosopher Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, Joanne Cole will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead, but first it's time for headlines with KGNU's Luis Licón. The United States Department of Housing and Urban Development has agreed to allow the state to administer $6 million of Marshall Fire Community Development Block Grants. Representative Joe Nagu, Senator Michael Bennett, and Senator John Hinklooper wrote letters on behalf of the state asking the federal agency to waive a rule requiring Boulder County to administer funds. The letter said overseeing the money would strain the counties and delay the recovery for many families. Senator Bennett said in a press release, We greatly appreciate HUD's flexibility and support on this matter. Every dollar we save by streamlining the process is another dollar for the survivors of the Marshall Fire as they continue to rebuild. The Oil and Gas Conservation Commission will consider changes to regulations to better address the cumulative impacts of oil and gas operations. KGNU's Steve Miller has more. The state body that regulates oil and gas operations in Colorado has set a December 14th hearing date for a rulemaking petition that calls for rules to better protect Coloradans from cumulative impacts of oil and gas development. Six environmental groups submitted the rulemaking petition on August 30th, formally asking the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, COGCC, to move forward in making the new rules. The COGCC has a mandate, enacted in 2019 by Senate Bill 19-181, to evaluate and address the potential cumulative impacts of oil and gas development. According to the environmental groups, in over three years since the Senate bill passed into law, the Commission has adopted rules to evaluate cumulative impacts, but enacted only a handful of rules that address a small subset of local cumulative impacts such as dust, noise, and light. The petitioners are demanding that the COGCC make rules to address the regional and state cumulative impacts of ozone and climate change and to increase local protections against air pollutants, especially in disproportionately impacted communities. Any individual or entity who wishes to provide comments on the rulemaking petition, may file with the commission no later than December 2nd. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller. As temperatures drop, Eldora Mountain Resort is ramping up snow production. The ski resort plans to open on November 18th or even earlier if they get enough snow. Eldora Marketing Director Sam Bass told the Daily Camera, 
We're so excited to begin gearing up for another winter of fun here at the Backyard Mountain for Greater Boulder County and Colorado's Northern Front Range. Arapahoe Basement Ski Area is currently the only ski resort open in the region. It began operating lifts on Monday. The Boulder Valley School District is stepping up security and police presence at and around Fairview High School after a man made threats against the school. The Boulder County District Attorney's Office charged the 18-year-old Esteban Yeguian with felony menacing, inciting destruction of life or property, and interfering with an educational institution. Police released Yeguian after he posted a $100,000 bond under the conditions that he have no contact with Fairview High School, nor any named victims in the case, possesses no weapons, and not travel outside of the state, and continue mental health treatment. BVSD did not provide specifics on how security will look in the coming days, but said that their priority is to ensure the safety of both students and staff. The city of Denver is hitting the pause button on the e-bike rebate program. KGN News' Sean Kellen has more. Denver's Climate Office is suspending its e-bike rebate voucher program for the remainder of this year, but officials say it will be back in 2023. The program lets approved applicants buy an e-bike at participating bike shops for an upfront discount. It's been a huge success. More than 4,400 vouchers have been redeemed in Denver as of October 24th. As a result, available funding has been all used up. Once it starts again next year, applicants can register at denverclimaterebates.com. No word yet on specific date for the program to resume. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. The Denver City Council will invest $15 million of marijuana sales tax revenue in an effort to support 1,000 minority and women-owned businesses by the end of 2025. Officials told the Denver Post that the funds are meant to combat historically racist discriminatory practices in the finance industry that have prevented minority-owned businesses from growing and thriving. For today's temperature in Denver, we're going to see a high of 62 and a low of 32 with a current temperature of 34 degrees. In Fort Collins, it's going to be a high of 59 and a low of 27 with a current temperature of 32 degrees. And currently, there is a freeze warning in effect in Larimer County. In Boulder, we're going to see a high of 59 and a low of 37 with a current temperature of 38 degrees. And for KGNU, I am Luis Licon. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. One of the statewide measures on Colorado ballots is Proposition 123. It calls for the allocation of 0.1% of state tax revenue to fund the construction of affordable housing units. Proponents say this measure will provide overdue relief while not increasing taxes. But those who oppose it say eliminating housing regulations would do more to solve the problem. KGNU's Rosanna Longobetta brings us this report. Clients line up outside the Sister Carmen Food Bank in Lafayette to collect food and request rental assistance. This person, who did not want to give her name, says paying rent in Colorado is hard and becoming a homeowner is almost impossible. At Sister Carmen, we help with financial assistance like 
water, gas, and electric bills, and um, rental assistance. Avi Ocampo, bilingual advocate, supervisor. At Sister Carmen says the organization has seen a spike in requests for assistance as the cost of living soars. After COVID and the Marshall fires, we've just seen an increase in people asking for help. And, you know, with the inflation being such a scary thing, it's it's hard for people to be able to live and choose, do I pay my rent and not eat or do I eat and I pay, I don't pay my rent and then maybe I'll even get evicted eventually. Ocampo worries that the soaring cost of living could end up affecting the most vulnerable as well as essential workers. You know, 86% of Coloradans are facing a housing crisis and if we don't pass this law, it's just going to continue to get worse. And we just have to think about People in our community with fixed incomes like seniors, teachers, nurses who are and firefighters who work every day to make sure that our communities are safe, are healthy, are educated, and they can no longer live in the communities where they work. Housing is on the minds of many Colorado voters this election cycle. The Colorado Health Foundation's Pulse poll found that survey respondents were more concerned about the rising cost of living and housing than any other issue. Proposition 123 calls for earmarking up to 0.1% of state income tax revenue to fund grants and loans to local governments to build permanent affordable housing. We can't afford a Colorado where Coloradans can't afford to live, and that's where we're heading if we don't pass Proposition 123. Mike Johnston, CEO and president of the Gary Ventures Philanthropic Organization, says the proposition is a unique opportunity to tackle Colorado's housing crisis. And it does that without raising taxes. Uh, And I think this is really important because it helps make sure that everybody has access to affordable housing, and particularly those folks who are most left behind in the current economic environment. We know this disproportionately affects uh, lower wage workers. We know it disproportionately affects uh, residents of color in Colorado and younger residents, people with kids. Proponents of the measure, like Johnston, estimate if Proposition 123 passes, it will set aside $300 million each year to fund housing crisis solutions. We're very fortunate in the fact that we have 225 organizations that are endorsing it and supporting it. We do not any have any organizations that have opposed it. And so right now we don't have any opponents, and we think that's because 86% of Coloradans think it's really important to, to build this affordable housing, so we think we're going to have a lot of support. But support for that proposition is not unanimous. Michael Fields is with Advanced Colorado Action, an advocacy organization in favor of a smaller government. And we are opposing uh, Proposition 123. And basically, uh, the reason for that is that we don't think that government should be more involved in housing, that it should, we shouldn't have a, a more of a government takeover. Fields disagrees with the argument that Proposition 123 does not raise taxes because it could affect Tabor refunds. I mean, when they're taking our Tabor refunds, that's a tax increase. So, like, they're going to say it's not. But again, it's still, we have less money in our pockets. Uh, if our, you know, we we're, we get that $750 check, if it's $650 next year, they took more of our money, whether they want to call it a tax increase or not. 
U.S. Census data shows Colorado has a shortage of about 225,000 homes. Phil says the solution will be to loosen government regulations in order to stimulate supply. We have to make it easier for permitting. We have to get zoning uh, through quicker and localities. We have to build more and quicker. And that will drive down the cost not only for low-income people, but for all Coloradans. Uh, because if you have 225,000 uh, fewer units than you need, the cost is going to be too high. And so I just think that government can get out of the way more than creating a few thousand units when we are 225,000 under isn't going to do much, but it's very costly. Pills is also skeptical that the funds will actually go towards the stated purpose. Ojalá pase la ley 123. Even if it does pass, just how quickly and effectively Proposition 123 could provide relief to people standing in lines outside of Sister Carmen and other food banks statewide is unknown. For KGNU, I am Rosana Longo Better. Subsidies that lowered average out-of-pocket health insurance costs by $900 per year for qualifying Coloradans are still in play during open enrollment, which starts November 1st. President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act extended expanded marketplace premium tax credits through 2025. Eric Galatis has more. Some 155,000 Coloradans who signed up for health insurance through Connect for Health Colorado were able to save $900 per year on average through American Rescue Plan Act tax credits. Those credits have been extended by President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act and will be in play as open enrollment begins next week. Kevin Patterson is CEO of Colorado's Marketplace. He says competition remains strong among the state's insurers and all counties have at least one option for coverage. So we're really excited about that, but we just want to make sure people come in and shop, look for the advanced premium tax credit that has been extended through the Inflation Reduction Act of this year in August and make sure that they pick a plan that meets their family's needs. Open enrollment starts November 1st and ends on January 15th. After that, if Coloradans lose insurance through their job or experience other qualifying life-changing events, they will be eligible for a 60-day special enrollment period. Colorado's one-stop marketplace allows families to test out plans and prices. It's available at connectforhealthco.com. Earlier this month, Bright Healthcare informed the Colorado Division of Insurance that it will withdraw from Colorado's health insurance market for 2023 but Patterson says his team is ready to help current Bright enrollees find the right plan for next year. He says many people aren't aware that they qualify for help keeping the cost of insurance affordable. 
let's say they're paying around $500 a month is what their premium would be in a certain situation. On average, we can get that down to about $150, $160 a month based on what they're shopping for. And so these are really significant savings. Folks having a difficult time enrolling can call 855-752-6749 or visit connectforhealthco.com to be connected with one of their certified insurance brokers and enrollment assisters. Patterson says these experts don't just provide enrollment services, they provide a continuum of assistance to help you stay covered if your situation changes down the road. We have a network of brokers and assisters. You can put in your zip code, find what's close to you, and go to someone that's in or real close to your community that you can talk to and figure out, where do I even start? This is Eric Galatis reporting for the Colorado News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Time now for the latest edition of This Week in Water with Jamie Sudler and Franny Halperin. A new water supply for Colorado? That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. There's some encouraging news in the effort to combat climate change. Emissions of carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels are not expected to grow by much this year, only 1%. That's a small fraction of the increase that occurred last year, according to the International Energy Agency, and they say the decline is because of the strong expansion of renewables and electric vehicles. Expectations were that CO2 emissions would be growing a lot more. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has increased the demand for coal in 2022 by making natural gas more expensive, but renewable energy has offset the releases from fossil fuels. Almost a quarter of the European Union's energy has come from solar and wind since the start of the conflict. Also, due to the war, economic growth, especially in Europe, will likely be slower, leading to lower emissions. The IEA report comes about three weeks before the start of the COP27 talks in Egypt, meant to keep countries in line with the goals of the Paris Agreement, limiting global warming to no more than 2 degrees Celsius, and even better, 1.5 degrees compared to pre-industrial times. Scientists warned that even though the small increase is good, CO2 emissions need to be decreasing and rapidly. Colorado residents may soon have a new way to supplement their water supplies. Facing the continuing drought in the West, the state has joined a few others to approve direct potable reuse, a process in which sewage is treated and then reused for drinking water. Reuse isn't new. Generally, after wastewater has been cleaned, it's sent to a river, a wetland, or into the ground before being treated again, which is called indirect reuse. Under Colorado's new rules, wastewater will be disinfected with ozone gas or ultraviolet light to remove bacteria, viruses, and drugs. Then it will be filtered through membranes to remove any trace contaminants. Colorado regulators will require any utility that decides to adopt direct potable reuse to include a public relations campaign to confront negative images that have been made infamous by the tagline, Toilet to Tap. When shipwrecks are discovered, there are expected to be time capsules of bygone eras. 
carrying a cargo of clothes, tools, and perhaps a treasure chest teeming with pearls and coins. But according to new research, although some sunken ships can become artificial reefs benefiting sea life, oftentimes old vessels leave a legacy of toxic compounds that are damaging ocean ecosystems. Such was the case with a fishing trawler called the John Mann that was turned into a Nazi patrol boat and was bombed by the British Royal Air Force in 1942. It's been sitting at the bottom of the North Sea off the Belgian coast ever since. Scientists with the North Sea Rex Research Project, which studies sunken ships and their environmental impact, analyzed samples from the vessel's steel hull and surrounding sediment. Results showed a range of contaminants, including heavy metals, arsenic, explosives, and hydrocarbons found in coal, crude oil, and gasoline which, the researchers say, are changing the surrounding marine microbiology and geochemistry. The authors report that the amount of pollution at this site wasn't high, but given the number of wrecks still submerged from the two world wars, they estimate between 2.5 and, and 20 million metric tons of petroleum products may be currently leaking into the ocean. And time is not on our side because as ships degrade and corrode, the environmental damage evolves. For that reason, the project expects to make recommendations later this year whether wartime vessels will need to be removed and if the John Mann will be one of them. And finally, the UN calls this plant a food of the future. It's high in protein, vitamins, minerals, and is a good source of fiber. It's also drought-resistant, can improve soil health, and because it reaches maturity quickly, can be harvested faster than many other crops. So what is this marvelous plant? It's the prickly pear cactus, which is called nopal in Mexico, where you'll find its leaf pads, once the spines are removed, chopped into salads, sautéed with eggs, or even as a type of french fry. The cactus fruit is made into jams and juices and also used in soap and shampoos. According to Modern Farmer, eating prickly pear cactus is not mainstream north of the border yet, but researchers are working to change that. One is John Cushman at the University of Nevada, Reno, who thinks nopales could not only be a major crop like soybeans and corn, but also a sustainable biofuel as well as forage for livestock. In a study, he wrote that nopales are both heat and cold tolerant and sequester carbon, making them attractive, climate-resilient plants. They also require little water because prickly pear fruit close their pores during the heat of the day to prevent evaporation. Cushman is looking to use the plant's genes to improve drought tolerance of other crops, and we could know the results of that work in a study set to be published soon. That's it for This Week in Water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We now check in with KGNU's comment line and the listeners who share their thoughts about what they hear on KGNU. Well, I'm listening to the uh, World Press Roundtable here Tuesday night. It's uh, October uh, 18th, and uh, Mr. Uhas is talking about, uh, you know, uh, kind of obliquely about the misinformation there in Eastern Europe. He's talking about the Ukraine war, and I'd certainly appreciate him extending that on that, maybe on another program these days, because he has good insights. He's kind of defensive about being the other side, but we need it. And it sounds to me like really Biden's making a heck of a perilous adventure here. And there's misinformation. And do Americans are going to remember 
the coalition that went on between the Allies and Stalin. Let's remember it. A lot of people consider it to be positive. I really appreciate Mr. Buhoff's insightful comments. Thank you. If you'd like to make a comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave a message at our listener comment line at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesday mornings at 825. That's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. Thanks to Luis Licon, Steve Miller, John Kellen, Alexis Kenyon, Rosanna Longo-Better, Eric Galatis, Jamie Sudler, and Franny Halperin for their contributions to today's program. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. That's coming up just after the news headlines from the BBC.